I'm Scott Rogers. This is The Hard Look, and it's been a while. This past half year, producers Steve Saltarelli and I got new jobs. We each made some big life decisions and did some thinking about what we want this podcast to be about. Our conclusion? We want to analyze the things that are important to us, highlight stories we think are worth telling, expose the connections between decisions in life that make someone go from point A to point B, and other vague things like that. But mainly, we just want to make cool sounding things that might mean something to you and are fun. So with that in mind, we're kicking off our newest round of episodes with a story that's kind of personal for me. The next episode shouldn't take half a year to finish, so yeah. We hope you enjoy and stick with us, and share with only your coolest, smartest friends. I'm Scott Rogers. This is The Hard Look, at a lost night. It was February 2011, and I was watching the snow pile up on my parents' front yard. Three hours north in Chicago, the snow had come on so quickly that almost a thousand drivers were forced to leave their cars stranded on Lakeshore Drive, which, as a Chicago resident for the past five years, seems pretty crazy to me now. I can't imagine taking out the keys, opening the door, and waddling off through the snow. It's an apocalyptic image. All those cars frozen on the highway like something from Stephen King's The Stand. But I didn't live in Chicago yet. Instead, I was in Springfield, my hometown, snowed in and trying to figure out how to pass the time. I remember grabbing a can of coke and some secret whiskey from the cabinet over the stove, sneaking up to my childhood room and playing Mario Kart 64 until I fell asleep. It was like something a high school student would do when trying out alcohol for the first time. Only I was 22, soon to be 23. So what was I doing there? I graduated from college in May of 2010, and it's safe to say that it snuck up on me. Basically, I had no plan at all. I began to lightly search for jobs early in my final semester, but I was clueless, directionless. I lacked the drive and mental health to prepare myself for this life change, so I opted to do nothing and put my faith in it all working out eventually. Surely I would graduate and be able to find a job somewhere, I told myself. But there was the news. Spring is here, and graduation day at area colleges isn't too far away. Many of state college students will get the job market this weekend, and career experts say it's still tough out there. Welcome back, everyone. We're talking about the job So, yeah, I couldn't find a job. There's the stereotype of the millennial that graduates college, expecting the world to be handed to them because, hey, I have a degree, I've paid my dues. And I think there's some truth to that but I also think something is missing there. After you spend at least 16 years in the education system, where the message is the best grades and highest scores on standardized tests lead to success, you're suddenly dropped into the real world. And it's completely different. No one cares about my A in experimental creative writing, still to this day. Perhaps most importantly from my perspective, school was really comfortable. Teachers told me I was good at something. I had a history of depression, and school became a kind of medication for me, a way for me to anchor myself in something positive and rewarding. I wasn't ready to look outside that bubble, so I didn't take any steps toward preparing for life beyond college. But I knew someone who did. My name is Evan. Evan is one of my best friends. We've known each other since we were 14. We went to the same high school, then the same college. 
So he was roughly in the same boat as me when it came to graduation and figuring out what to do after. What has always struck me about this was how different our approaches were. Whereas I took a wait and see, let's just pretend this isn't happening, approach to life post-graduation, Evan was relentlessly proactive. He moved back to Springfield as well after college, but to attend grad school. Evan took part in a unique MBA program which had students go to school at night and work for the state during the day. The way this all shook out was basically he got paid to go to school. I think you probably had to apply in December if you were going to graduate in May, and then you would start working in August that following summer. Um, I knew, I guess at the time, there was not a lot of jobs. It's hard to turn down free education. But he wasn't exactly psyched. I was back in Springfield, a place I didn't really want to be. Evan made the most of the situation, though. Starting to exercise regularly, teaching himself to cook something other than the canned Garfield branded ravioli, his college favorite. Anything to pass the, the boredom. Though stuck in Springfield, with really only an increasingly depressed me and a few other friends, he managed to handle himself remarkably well. Yeah, and it was easier to cope with that uh, time period because I knew it was only temporary. He was waiting out the worst financial crisis in years. Whereas I was competing with a BA in English, which millions of other unemployed graduates from not only my class, but the previous two years' classes also had, Evan was working. Even if his job wasn't the most exciting or productive experience, this was a state job after all, he found a way to carve out a role for himself and add lines to his resume. But it was almost like a, a purgatory where you're just kind of waiting yeah. to graduate, get a job, do something, I guess, meaningful. And meaning was hard to find, especially for me. By the time November rolled around, six months had passed. A brief internship that previous summer was over. No interviews were arranged. Still, I was lucky. My parents were willing to support me and let me bum around their house while I tried to figure out what to do with my life. But millions of others didn't have this luxury and still don't. I have no idea what I would have done if I graduated and was expected to immediately support myself, or if the prospect of college was never an option for me at all, like it is for so many who don't have my background of being a middle-class white male. Instead, I was stuck in limbo, where I was playing my role in the script that was presented to me, only to find that the world no longer had interest in playing its part. So I was pretty depressed and running out of ideas. And then the night of November 19th happened. Evan, a few friends, and I decided to go out, which was out of the ordinary because no one really had any money at the time. We went over to a friend's house hanging out in his garage. I had a beer. Evan went a different route, choosing to consume something that could pass as an industrial cleaner, only less safe, the caffeine-infused Four loco. At the time, I believe I had two full cans, which is equivalent to 12 beers and I believe four cups of coffee. So, yeah. very bad. Why he did this is unclear. We were all still relatively fresh out of college though, so maybe it was an attempt to relive those more carefree days or something stupid like that. Either way, soon after this night, there'd be a run of current college students rushed to hospitals for overdosing on the drink. Six weeks later, it was barred for sale in all of the states. Rip for local classic. Our friend's dad, who was an extreme close talker, joined us in the garage, cornering a fairly intoxicated Evan in the corner. 
He was very big into Jesse Ventura's conspiracy theories. Water is being privatized and companies are buying water, or corporations are buying ocean water that eventually all oceans and water will have to be sold and purchased. Eventually, Evan managed to escape, and we headed downtown to a bar we all liked, grabbing another friend on the way. Though our time at the bar was generally pretty relaxed, Evan's behavior, as you might expect, became increasingly erratic. Discussion at some point turned to the launch of Wendy's new fries and when they might be coming to Springfield. I was very interested in these new Wendy's fries. I didn't know if they were going to be in Springfield, but I was determined to find out. So we gave them a call. And I waited on hold for about 15 minutes while <laughs> they continued to check to see if their new fries are coming in. I was asking about the truck logistics, what time the, the trucks generally come in to deliver the food, um, how often they come, if it's Wednesdays or Thursdays or every day. He was told, to our surprise, that the fries would be arriving the next day, so we made plans to meet there for lunch. I don't believe the, the worker had any idea and was probably lying to me. This, along with a few other antics, made it clear it was time to wrap it up after a few hours. So we left, walking out onto the old state Capitol Plaza, a historic area filled with Abraham Lincoln-related sites that we needed to pass through to get to my car. Right, so we're leaving the bar, a couple Four Locos deep, several Coors Lights deep, and fresh off a phone call from Wendy's. When Evan notices this group of statues off to our left. There was one where Lincoln's son had his hat out, tipping his hat, and holding his hand out as well. And for whatever reason, it spooked me, and I just decided to play a goof and say it's a demon. He was screaming, something along the lines of, Demon! Demon! There's a demon in here, and it's trying to get me. I began running as fast as I could, sprinting, full speed, away from the statues. Right across the street. He's on the sidewalk, but he hasn't turned enough, and oh no, he's going to run. Apparently, right into a wall. And then there's this silence as he lay on the sidewalk. It's an odd thing to watch a human run into a wall at full speed, like it wasn't there at all. Sort of like a live-action cartoon, only not very funny. Shock lingered for a bit. We helped him up, made sure he wasn't badly injured. There was no blood or visible wounds, so we figured it was fine to take him home. That's not to say he wasn't injured, though, because he was definitely concussed. After I dropped everyone off, I posted on Facebook about what I just saw him do, and he commented with some gibberish. Post said, no, I'm good, period, magic man. <laughs> it's hard to say that seeing a friend run into a wall was a life-changing event, but looking back now, it kind of was. In my mind, it marks a clear point where what I expected for myself slammed, pun intended, up against with what I had to actually do to make the life I wanted. Looking over at how Evan had treated post-college life, seeing how one of my best friends wasn't letting time slip away from him, other than the period immediately after he ran into a building, was kind of inspiring to me. Because he was having a bad time too. People don't drink that much alcohol if they're in a good place, generally. Despite all his hard work, he was for the most part faced with the same reality as me, stuck in our hometown, killing time. But that extremely stupid moment, in my memory, stands out. Those previous seven months had been bleak. 
Sometimes you need something to shock you back to reality, I guess. I need to see someone who would inspire me to get my life together, do something incredibly stupid. Of course, there wasn't some magical turnaround the next day at Wendy's either, which we did go to, and yes, they did have the new fries. Evan was still a bit groggy, though. I don't know. Did, did I like them? Or do, I don't know if I like their fries. No. Were they better? Eventually, I found a job and moved to Chicago. And as a few years pass, I started feeling a lot better. Evan moved up here, too. And now I think we pretty much view this period the same way. By and large, it's just kind of a, a short blip in the radar. Just a lost year and a lost night. The funny thing about all of this is life now is exactly what I was scared of it becoming back then. Anything can happen. But instead of being scared, that's freeing for me. And I never thought I'd feel that way. The good or the bad, whatever. I look forward to experiencing it all, as corny as that sounds. I'd say, yeah, there's so much more uncertainty now. I mean, you don't know if you're going to, you know, get married, move somewhere, you know, have children. I mean, I could get a car crash, you know. There's certain, I mean, you don't know. But that's just life, I guess. This episode of The Hard Look was written and produced by me. Executive producer is Steve Saltarelli. All music is by Steve Saltarelli and me, with the song you're currently hearing by Yusuf and his Daydream. If you like it, which you should, it's great. You can hear more from Yusuf at yusufandhisdaydream.bandcamp.com. Check it out, you won't regret it. Thanks for listening. This has been The Hard Book. Can we get curly fries in the mix? You can put whatever you want as your fries. Are you going to Arby's? I'd go to Arby's. <laughs> I'm thinking Arby's.